Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, we'll be talking with Eunice Lynn Nichols, the Dynamic Vice President for Innovation at Encore.org, who will tell us how her organization is changing our culture of age segregation, building a movement to make intergenerational collaboration the norm. Now, before we talk to Eunice, we should step back for a moment and note that our country has reached a significant demographic inflection point. For the first time in our history, people over 60 outnumber people under 18, raising fears in some quarters of a widening generational divide. But Encore.org sees things differently. And as we'll learn in a few minutes, Encore believes that the aging of America isn't so much a problem as it is an opportunity to be seized. In today's conversation, Eunice, who has been a leader in the Encore movement for 20 years, will spell out what it means to live gen to gen and how to take part in, in an Encore career movement, joining people age 15 up who are committed to using their experiences to create second acts for the greater good. We'll learn about the history of the Purpose Prize, Experience Corps, and Encore Fellowships. And Eunice will give some concrete examples of how Encore uses intergenerational solutions to meet pressing social problems, like the housing crisis facing both young and old, the epidemic of loneliness across generations, and the need for co-generational leadership in the workforce, to name just a few issues. So how can you participate in the Encore movement and join a coalition of leaders nationwide, creating a better future for all? To find out, let's meet Eunice Nichols. Eunice, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ron. So glad to be here. Yeah. So before we dive into some of these terrific programs, why don't you talk a little bit about Encore's history and how you basically have also blended in your personal history with Encore. Well, uh, as you mentioned in my intro, I'm the Vice President of Innovation at Encore.org, and we're a nonprofit that brings older and younger changemakers together to solve problems, bridge divides, and really create a better future for all. Um, my history with Encore actually intersects um, over 20 years ago, um, and I guess uh, maybe I'll start with the very beginning. Our founder, mm -hmm. Mark Friedman, began this work not so much focused on older generations, but focused on young people. Um, it was in the 80s when Big Brothers Big Sisters, a program we're all quite familiar with, was conducting a study on the importance of caring adult relationships with children and youth who came from vulnerable backgrounds. And uh, Mark was working on a research study for them because 70,000 kids were being matched with bigs, I think, at that time, um, but 30,000 children were languishing on these wait lists, often for 12 to 18 months. And so Mark was working on this research to find out what is happening to these kids in the wait list versus those who are being served. And, um, and what they discovered when they actually compared the kids who were not connected with adult mentors with those who were, um, the contrast was huge. Um, mm -hmm. For those who weren't matched with an, uh, with an adult, there was like 46% more drug use, 50% more difference in school truancy, 33, uh, something like 33% more um, violent behavior. And it became really clear that relationships matter. But Mark started asking this question, 
why are so many kids on the wait list? And he came to the conclusion that it was because we weren't tapping one of the most populous groups of demographics in our country who could actually have time during the day to be with these kids. And so he didn't start interested in older generations, but because of the shifting demography in our country, he started to look at that very carefully. And it was with that that Mark started um, Encore as an organization. We started harnessing older adults in mass to go into public schools to tutor and mentor kids and help them read by third grade. That's when my story intersects with Encore. I was in my mid-20s when I joined the team to work on this program experience core that was helping kids read by third grade. Right, right. Yeah, so I think that's that's a very interesting point. You know, usually when you think of Encore careers, you know, in terms of, you know, yes, people you know, rethinking their careers sort of midlife beyond, which is true, but it's directly connected to the younger generation. It's not just about thinking about ourselves as, as elders, which I am, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, that, 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 that part of living that life vitally is to connect to the next generation. Um, That's right. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, uh, uh, I think you, you headed the team that launched Gen to Gen, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just talk a bit about that program. What, what does it do? How does it work? Yeah, so, um, you know, just by way of background, so Gen to Gen is an initiative we launched um, a little over five years ago to that was really Encore coming full circle. So I mentioned the story of launching Experience Corps, this mm-hmm. what has become a national program now run by AARP to connect older adults as tutors and mentors to kids in public schools. Um, From that experience, we actually discovered these incredibly dedicated older volunteers who would volunteer, but uh, a number of them started to do things like go into substitute teaching or to get their credentialing to become teachers or to do other work with young people um, in their communities. And it just lit uh, this light bulb for us that many older adults both not only needed to work longer um, because they were living longer lives and needed it financially, but also wanted to work longer. And so that kind of launched, I think, what most people know of as Encore Careers, what Encore has now become known for. Uh, About five years ago, we kind of came full circle and came back to this idea of generations connecting after dabbling in many programs that Mm -hmm. were focused on helping older adults find paths to purpose. Um, I would say if you typified the early years of Encore as uh, Mark, who was a young innovator, deeply interested in harnessing the talents of older people, uh, I would say the last five years have been Mark, who's now in his 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now, I started in my 20s. I'm now in my 40s, uh, starting to have a real kind of um, full circle moment of being deeply interested in how we connect with young people. And so that was the launch of the Gen to Gen initiative to mobilize um, millions of older adults to help young people and in the process make society better for all. Yeah, I think that's. Um a key idea that you really have. And it's so important because I think that, you know, we, I don't need to, you know, tell you, but we live in a siloed society and, um, um, you know, with all the focus on diversity and, and inclusiveness these days, of, uh, you know, both race and gender and ethnicity, one of the areas I think that it still needs a lot of work is age, you know, and, you know, we still kind of, you know, quarantine people so to speak, in, in this older sector of society when, you know, life is really a continuum, you know, it just proceeds age by age you know, and, and you're, you're just continuing and you're, you're, I think you, you've put it well in, in among your literature, which is that, you know, that as you get older, you're, you're still an asset 
you're not just a taker of services. So I think this is, uh, your programs really bring that out. Um, one, so uh, aside from experience for uh, one of the things I think, which also now is a, a program of ARP is the purpose prize. Yes. Um, talk a bit about that. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I have a, a deep affection for the Purpose Prize. So the Purpose Prize is, it's an awards program that Encore started um, over a decade ago. And it was really coming out of <clears throat> coming out of Experience Corps, where we were seeing more older adults who were interested in, in continuing to have a vibrant second, third, fourth kind of Encore career. And we started to get also very interested in the number of older adults who were very socially entrepreneurial mm -hmm. and were actually pulling together the vast experiences they had and were starting to funnel it into doing kind of the most important work of their life, actually, to do something that would actually solve some major societal problems. Uh, so we decided to create an award during a time when uh, really, I think our country was very focused on young entrepreneurs, kind of the idea of like a kid in their garage mm -hmm. launching something huge. There was a lot of money um, being thrown into that. And we had this idea that actually we should shine a spotlight on older entrepreneurs. And we didn't really know how many were out there. Um, that first year that we launched the Purpose Prize, I thought was this will not be a lifetime achievement award because that kind of thing <laughs> existed. We wanted to provide an award that would come with significant funding that could actually invest in the next phase of this person's life. And since then, we've had Purpose Prize winners say it's a little intimidating to be 70 and receive an award for what you're going to do in the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. But that was our intention. And um, we had an office pool that first year for how many nominations we would have. And I think in our wildest imaginations, it would be, you know, several hundred. Uh, we had a thousand nominations that wow. first year and every year after that, which gave us just uh, a real insight into the number of older Americans that were doing incredibly entrepreneurial things in their community. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is sort of a, a, a misconception that of the, you know, the young entrepreneur, whereas not that there aren't young entrepreneurs, of course, but there are also entrepreneurs at every step of uh, every stage of life. And uh, I think, you know, personally, as you get older, it's like, well, now I kind of know what I'm doing yeah. <laughs> and I've seen what things work and what don't work and what, what's required to work in how much work is goes into, you know, an entrepreneurial venture. Um, That's right. and, and you just feel like you just sort of now I just finally feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I think we're also equally interested in um, stories where older and younger entrepreneurs come together and jointly launch something because the wisdom and the experience of life lived that an older social, a social entrepreneur has when combined with mm -hmm. uh, the benefits of the youthful view where nothing is, is a huge barrier. You're just willing to go for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Something about that combination can be quite yeah. magical. Yeah. In any, anything come to mind in terms of any recent purpose prizes that involved and in sort of an intergenerational collaboration? Um, yeah. Wow. So many. Well, when I was running the, um, when I was running the program, uh, uh, a few years ago, some of my favorite intergenerational stories included, um, uh, we've had, uh, purpose price winners who ran, um, programs that basically connected, uh, older, uh, these elders in Alaska, uh, indigenous elders wow. who were doing um, amazing work bringing music to very remote villages in Alaska. 
Um, and Belle Mickelson, who herself had been a teacher for a science teacher for many years and learned how to fiddle and play the ukulele and all these musical instruments would have these jam sessions with elders. Um, and together they talked to school districts across um, Alaska and said, what would it take to actually bring music programs to these very remote places that have no, no connections, no services at all. Um, and we're often collaborating with younger educators to, to bring elders to work with young, with young people. Uh, and that program has spread across um, multiple cities in Alaska. Um, we've had right now, I'm actually running a, a new program called the Gen to Gen Innovation Fellowship. Yeah, and we have that. a couple of, of fellows that are collaborating um, older with younger to actually make interesting things happen in their neighborhood. Um, one of our fellows, Sharita Harrison, is uh, a millennial, and she works with the founder of Metro Murphysis in Baton Rouge, Ray Jetson, who is, he just turned 65. Mm -hmm. um, and while he's the founder, he brought in Sharita um, as a young person to really co-lead Metro Murphysis with them, with him. And they have this wonderful dynamic where Sharita says, Ray gave her permission basically to, uh, to do things differently. He said, I would rather see you fail um, because you tried something new, then do the same thing that I did. That's the point of having this co-generational leadership. And so she's been really freed up to experiment with new and um, different ways of leading at Metromorphosis. Uh, they're the perfect example of this kind of co-generated uh, dynamic. And Sharita is launching some initiatives in Baton Rouge to actually experiment with older and younger innovators who are co-leading nonprofits and community-based initiatives in Baton Rouge. Um, and uh, we have one other innovator actually in our fellowship, Ji Ken Chu, who uh, runs, runs this wonderful program that connects young people, um, high schoolers in particular, who don't really know what they want to do job-wise and don't have strong networks of parents, for example, who are naturally connected to um, many people in careers their kids might be interested in. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Jikin is building a network of folks who'd be willing to just talk to these kids and tell them about real jobs that they have. Um, Jikin's in his 60s. His co-founder of that program was a young man who was equally interested in um, building out this tech platform to connect older and younger kids. And once again, they each brought very different perspectives to the table. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an interesting idea that, that you've uh, notion this notion of co-leadership. Because usually we, we think about it as, as consecutive, right? We have people who become leaders and they get older and then there's another generation that comes back and then they become the mentors for that next generation, which is true. But I think the idea of having sort of simultaneous leadership is, is something that's a little different, a little bit of a twist on something that, you know, you don't need to wait and your turn. It's like each, each generation or generations, you know, can contribute at the same time, in, in, you know, with, with um, equal voices, if you will. Um, That's right. So, yeah. 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 Um, one of my colleagues, Marcy Alberher, who really specializes in uh, the multi-generational workforce and Encore Careers, often talks about how there's been a shift where older adults who are trying to stay viable and stay in the workforce um, are finding that often they are going to their adult children, to mm -hmm. their professional networks to try and connect. And what used to be the opposite, where kids were like, hey, mom or dad, can you get me connected to somebody you know? that the, the flip is actually happening. And so um, I'd say even more so the importance of having multi-generational professional connections is critical. Uh, and so many of us are working in environments where we might have five generations in the workforce, but very few companies or nonprofit organizations are structured 
to intentionally help older and younger people connect in the workforce. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's true. I think that, um, uh, and I think interestingly, it, it works sort of conversely. So I think that, you know, the, the older generation is looking to the younger to help them, you know, with social media and, and be more, you know, technically versatile, uh, but they're not that far behind. You yeah. know, I think that we still have this notion that, um, you know, the older work as well, they're technologically, you know, uh, it, not inept, but basically challenged. And, you know, and, and some of that is true, but I think basically um, that's increasingly less true. I mean, you have people who, um, I have an, uh, an aunt who is 99. Mm. She's on the internet and she emails her grandchildren and great, you know, about their great grandchildren. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not that difficult. I mean, it, it does take training though. A yeah. lot of things that younger generation knows, they know almost intuitively, but it's not really intuitive. It's because they're so engaged with their peers. That's how they learn, yes. you know, but I think that, um, you know, that, that you can really, uh, you know, get older, the older generation much more intimately connected through technology. And of course, now we're forced to with, uh, <laughs> with the ongoing pandemic. So, you know, I think that that's, um, that's something that we're just going to have to, you know, understand that that um you know that that's kind of here to stay i think you know i think that there we've just learned that there are too many advantages to technology in terms of meeting in terms of creating hybrid um meetings and courses that uh that is somewhat challenging and you know i would love to be face to face with you yeah of course we're across across coast but that's but but this enables us to do it and enables us you know, even if we are meeting face to face to have others involved, you know, right. in, in these meetings. And so you bring in people who ordinarily wouldn't be um, able to participate. Um, so um, we just have a, a minute before we're going to take a break. But um, uh, uh, what I'd like to talk about, too, is some of these other kinds of issues that you've uh, you've mentioned earlier. Um, and I mentioned in, in the introduction about uh, some of the gaps and, and looking for pathways to bring mm. older uh, and younger adults um, together. Um, uh, one of which is uh, dealing with uh, one of our big issues, with which is housing. Um, and I think that um, you know uh, some of the possibilities for how we can handle both the housing crisis for younger and older. I think they're actually interestingly similar needs. So um, uh, when we come back, uh, we'll start on that. But uh, right now, we're just going to take a break. And when we come back, folks, uh, we'll be listening to Eunice with much more. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? 
At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, uh, to 45 Forward. We're talking with Eunice Lynn Nichols, the Vice President for Innovation for Encore.org. Uh, before the break, we were talking to, to Eunice about a lot of the programs that Encore has that really are, are really pragmatic and, and terrific uh, approaches to solving um, some of society's biggest problems through multi-generational uh, interaction. So before we were talking about the housing crisis for young and old, let's talk a little bit more about that as to what kinds of solutions are you looking at and perhaps uh, you know, advocating for to solve both the problems of uh, younger and older generations. Um, and sorry, specifically to housing, Ron? Or, um, yeah, to housing, yep, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. Yes. So um, housing is an interesting area of challenge because it hits both young and old in different ways. For many older adults, they want to and are trying to find ways to age in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they get older, it is harder to kind of maintain their homes and in in neighborhoods in particular that are gentrifying, it can be difficult to actually just afford to stay um, in those areas. And then young people, especially those who are in college or graduate school um, or are just starting out with their first jobs, are struggling to just be able to live in cities where these jobs, many of these jobs exist and be able to afford that. So um, there have been a couple of innovators that we're tracking that have launched uh, using technology, home sharing programs that are a little bit like if you envision Airbnb, but for older homeowners who invite hmm. in young people to take uh, to basically take over a spare bedroom in their house. One of them is called Nestor Lee, founded by Noel Marcus, who is a Gen to Gen Innovation Fellowship mm-hmm. in our inaugural cohort. And Noel really created this program to. She launched it first in Boston, and one of the first home hosts ever, um, Bren Atchison has, uh, she's wonderful, older um, African-American woman who needed uh, a little extra income to be able to stay in her neighborhood in Boston and could use a little extra help around the house um, and was living by herself. And she had a spare bedroom. And there are a lot of uh, young college students and grad students in Boston who were not able to actually afford a place. So Bren opened up that room uh, every semester to a year. She has a new student who comes and lives with her and they just have the most wonderful conversations over dinner. Uh, They share meals together. Often these are students who are coming from abroad and they share uh, stories across cultures and Bren can introduce them to American holidays. And there's just uh, something really special about the relationship. Uh, Bren is, uh, she'll often say it's perfect for her because she gets 
the relational connection and the ability to explore having this dynamic young person in her home. But it's also not long-term. She knows that in six months to a year, she will invite a new person in and that works perfectly for her. So Nestor Lee's doing that across, um, trying to expand to have that across the country. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me of my my days in high school when we would have student exchange programs. We'd have students from abroad come and spend six months with us. And it's really, you know, a fascinating educational program. And I think that that basically we're trying to, to replicate those kinds of experiences, you know, um, uh, with right. this kind of program. And, and yeah. I think that, you know, so there, there are, you know, programs uh, like, like um, co-housing and then uh, on where I live there, there is a, a home share program, which mm-hmm. um, require, you know, which um, enables, uh, you know, people, young people, as you've mentioned to, um, you know, share housing uh, with older, uh, essentially empty nesters in our yeah. area. Um, which takes some doing. I think they have a social worker that basically makes sure the matches work appropriately in case there are any issues. Um, But I think, I think interestingly also one of the the biggest obstacles, which is gradually getting taken down, but uh, in my area, at least are zoning laws, Mm. you know, you know, we're, we're, we're changing the way our culture, uh, well, lives and, and recognizing it, you know, I mean, I think we're still kind of behind you know, yeah. in, in at least in a lot of the suburbs, about this notion that I mean, our our zoning about who can live where and who can do what and can you have accessory apartments and stuff like that is based upon, unfortunately, a, a '50s model of you know <laughs> people you know coming out to the suburbs you know and having families of four and um, two cars and little suburban plot and some of that is still true and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all except that that's only accounts for half the population, you know, and and the rest of it is living different kinds of lives and there are many divorce households and so forth. So I think that, you know, but a lot of local lawmakers, I think are finally getting like, all right, we need to have much more flexible approach to housing that, you know, it's not, not, you know, senior zoning for senior housing, you know, that's like, you're wasting half the population if you're, if you're not, you know, um, accommodating younger people as well. Yeah, I think um, often we'll find that policies that were well-intentioned and meant to uh, protect or defend the rights of one population or one generation in particular in this case, end up having unintended um, consequences. And for us, <clears throat> for us right now, I feel like a lot of that is around this deep age siloing that prevents generations from sharing what is so special about each one with the other. And right. I think housing absolutely is one place to start. Um I'll say there are two other examples in addition to Nesterly uh, that have been interesting that we've been tracking. One is Silver Nest, which is similar to Nesterly, but they've done some interesting work to partner with programs like <clears throat> Teach for America or AmeriCorps or City Year, these service programs usually filled with young people who are giving a year of their lives to work at well below minimum wage mm. to serve our country. And um, and what Silver Nest has done is to pilot some scenarios where an older person with a spare bedroom will give at great discount that bedroom to somebody, a young person who's doing a year of national service. Um, So that's been interesting. And then we've also been tracking, there are quite a few universities that are starting to experiment with models where uh, they will provide, uh, they'll partner with others in the community to house university students in a very different way, either Mm. inviting older adults to live on university campus to create a more thriving environment 
um, with older adults who want to be part of a thriving academic community. Um, and then the flip side, there are some senior homes that are located close to universities that have freed up bedrooms in their senior home uh, to invite in students who are studying, for example, art or music, who can then actually uh, do art programming for the seniors and wow. or perform music because students are always looking for more places to practice their craft. And wow. so there's this, once again, this nice benefit of reduced housing in exchange for relationship as well as creativity. Right, right. That kind of leads me to another one of your uh, areas that, that you and I've talked about in the past, which is, you know, that the, uh, in some cases, people refer to it almost as an epidemic of loneliness in our society. Um, traditionally, you know, we think about people older, their 70s, especially and older, you know, um, suffering from isolation, loneliness. But I think you've mentioned to me that this is a pan-generational issue. That's right. Um, I think most people, when you think about loneliness, think about older adults, and rightfully so. Um, there was some Pew research uh, a, uh, a little while ago that said more than one quarter of people over age 60 live alone in the United States, mm -hmm. and more than 40% of them reported feeling lonely, even before the pandemic. Right. But uh, young people are actually the ones who report the highest rates of loneliness. There was a recent Cigna Loneliness Index study that was done that showed uh, young adults between the ages of 18 and 22 had the highest loneliness scores. Um, and uh, the health detriments of that loneliness and social isolation have been equated to being as damaging as uh, to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So there are real costs to loneliness. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that it, it does make sense in, in, if you think about it that, um, you know, in your 20s and your 70s, there are two periods of real transition, you know, yeah. where you um, you go through, a, you know, an extended period of a very structured life, you know, when you're younger, you basically school, college, and then it's like, okay, <laughs> now what? Yeah. And again, so, and later on in your 60s and 70s, where, you know, you've finished your career, you're, you know, Yes, you have grandchildren, hopefully, you know, or uh, but you're losing a lot of family. People are moving away, and again, it's sort of you're like, okay, where 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 do I go now? And so, I think there's that you know extreme feeling of loneliness, and I think it's we're discovering too that this is also a worldwide problem. I, I was interested to find out a little while ago that I think uh, in the UK they've actually appointed a minister of loneliness. That's right. Uh, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's some wonderful work happening in the UK <clears throat> around bridging generational divides to get at the fraying of the social fabric through disconnection. Uh, one of our Encore Public Voices fellows, uh, maybe from two years ago, Alex Smith, started an organization in the UK called the Caris Family. And it was launched from his own experience of um, he was like getting out the vote for something. I can't quite remember now what, but he was knocking, going door to door to get people to vote. And he happened to knock on a neighbor's door that he hadn't really talked to before. It was an older gentleman who was uh, in a wheelchair who said, oh, I'd love to vote, but I, I can't get there myself. And Alex was like, oh, well, I, I'm happy to wheel you <laughs> literally mm -hmm. to the polling booth. And as he did that, going the several blocks there, they just connected. And Alex was like, well, this is not a one-time thing. I would love to just get to know this man better and we can exchange stories and there's so much history. And um, and that was sort of the the nugget that launched this uh, kind of grassroots structure to bring together older and younger within neighborhoods to connect. And during the pandemic, they've continued their work via Zoom calls where they have um, 
you know, they play games together, they sing together, they'll have uh, virtually distant meals together. And that social fabric has remained strong, even in the pandemic, because there were pre-existing connections between older and younger adults in the neighborhoods. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, in terms of tackling this issue, I think a, a lot of your programs are really intrinsically dealing with it by creating engagement, by connected generations. You know, you're not saying, well, this is just to deal with loneliness, but in fact, it contributes, I think, to that, you know, um, you know, to dealing with that issue and just by yeah. promoting engagement. Yeah. Well, and I think your earlier point about uh, these two transition points in in the lifespan, kind of post uh, high school and college, when you're all of a sudden life is, is is no longer structured for you in the same way, and then kind of the quote unquote traditional retirement age. Uh, I do feel like what we've seen is that technology can play an important role in being a matchmaker and providing some lightweight structure to help mm-hmm. older and younger people connect in a time when pathways are not readily apparent. Um, and I do think the pandemic has fast-tracked people's willingness to engage in technology to do that, um, ranging from one of the innovators in our innovation program, Aditi Merchant, is uh, our youngest fellow, and she runs a program now called Big and Mini, and she and a couple other students at UT Austin, when the pandemic struck and they were no longer able to be in class, uh, herself they heard the classmates felt very isolated. They were used to being in structured environments with college professors who were mentoring them and this robust social life. And they were all of a sudden kind of isolated in their own rooms. And so being the scrappy young entrepreneurial people they are, they're like, you know, let's just put together a Google form, see if there are some older um, people who might want to connect with us. Aditi and her co-founders have very close relationships to their grandparents who live in other countries. So they were used to the idea of actually connecting and talking over the phone um, or over over a, a virtual call. And they were shocked by the number of people that signed up. And then they decided to put a little bit of effort into engineering a more robust backend. And now they have thousands of people on the big and mini platform connecting wow. for conversations on a weekly basis. Yeah. So um, it has been a wonderful time for people to connect virtually. And hopefully when the pandemic is over, some of these relationships that started virtually can actually meet up in real life. Yeah, I think, you know, it's obviously was accidental, but uh, with the pandemic and certainly there are tragic sides to it, don't mean to minimize that, Uh, but it certainly has, you know, you know, it's, what's that old expression, you know, don't, don't ever uh, fail to take advantage of a good crisis. That's right. (laughs) You know, it's, it's like, um, you know, that it really has, I think, um, brought to the fore how much social connection means to us and that we sort of take, we took it for granted. And mm-hmm. now I think we understand what it really means in, in concrete terms and in health terms and mental health terms and physical health terms and, and, and you know, greater community terms. So, you know, that's something that I think you really, yeah, I, 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 I think you're right. I think people afterwards will still, you know, hang on to that piece of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, before you were talking about about you know the encore careers and so forth, you had mentioned to me that you you were also looking at higher education in a kind of a different way, you know, and sort of elevating it for those who go back to school, you know, for recareering. Um, talk a bit more about that. Yeah. So um, let me let me root this a little bit back in. <clears throat> 
in the history of back when we launched the Experience Corps to mm-hmm. connect older adults as tutors and mentors to kids in school. And we realized that more older adults wanted to, to actually engage in work, um, but not the work that they necessarily did in their primary career. And it turned out the pathways to actually engage in a encore career were not readily available. And so you kind of imagine a, um, a 60 or 70 year old who has spent a, a lifetime doing one thing in their primary career. They decide they want to, let's say in, in STEM, and they want to go actually teach in that. If they drop into a credentialing program meant for a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old, it just isn't well-suited to the fact that they have all this life experience. And so um, at that time, we ended up launching something called the Encore um, Fellowship Network. And it was basically a, a internship for grown-ups um, mm-hmm. that could create a pathway for somebody coming out of their primary career uh, to actually go get an internship for a year embedded in a nonprofit to uh, to get real life experience, making that transition from one area to the nonprofit sector. Um, that has been a, a successful program. We've placed thousands of older adults in nonprofits, which has helped them to then get a job after their one year internship in the social sector. But that also then led us to think about um, what about universities, um, including community colleges? What are the roles they can play in being part of this on ramp for older adults? What we had primarily seen at the time were wonderful programs like the Osher Lifelong Learning Program, kind of older adult classes embedded in universities, but those were primarily for personal enrichment. They weren't um, necessarily a career path for somebody who wanted to get another job. And so uh, an example of a recent innovation uh, is the University of Minnesota created the Advanced Careers Initiative, and it's a program embedded there that helps older adults discover uh, their next horizon. And the students, you enroll in in the Advanced Career Initiative, and you actually take classes alongside young people. And so it's a multi-generational learning environment. Uh, You focus on social impact and uh, the impact that you want to make in this next stage of life. And so we're hoping to see more programs like this program at University of Minnesota uh, that have accessible price points that an older adult can actually engage in as they figure out their next move. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really um, a terrific program. You know, I think that one of the things that has become clear to me, you know, as we try to solve a lot of these um, large, you know, social, economic uh, issues in our society is that, you know, we have government programs and we have private business, but then in the nonprofit sector, that to me is like the pivotal third leg of this, which I think would underutilize in terms of how people can get engaged, you know, with nonprofits to, to really help solve problems. So um, we're going to take another break, um, and, but don't go anywhere, folks. We're back with uh, much more of our last segment with Eunice and Nichols. Don't go away. You won't, you won't want to miss this. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're here with Eunice Lynn Nichols, the Vice President for Innovation for Encore.org. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, some interesting programs um, that connect younger and older. Um, uh, and I wanted to, to engage her a little bit about um, how some of these conversations can be um, used for stirring community conversations and, and movements and so forth. Yeah, so uh, there are, I think there's a ton of potential and possibility for intergenerational dialogue right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a surprise that I think a narrative we're all hearing and have experienced ourselves is that our country feels more divided than ever before, uh, politically, but in every possible way. And when you look at some of the most inspiring social movements for change right now, um, we're seeing... uh, you know, I'd say a, a couple things. One, sometimes those movements for change are quite splintered. You have young people who are, in essence, trying to fix things that we older ones have, have somewhat broken um, and often trying to tackle that alone. I think sometimes they feel alone in that. Uh, and then we have older change makers who have spent their lives trying to fight for social justice, um, who are uh, uncertain what their role is in this moment in time. And so one thing that we're really interested in is basically how to bring change makers together, social change agents together to have conversations across general generational lines um, for older adults to have the humility to listen and to learn from young people, for young people to actually care about the history of what came before them. And that can be true for climate change. It can be true for gun violence. It's true for, um, uh, for tackling some of our deeply racist problems that we're grappling with right now. Uh, there are a couple of organizations that are doing really wonderful multi-generational work. Uh, there's an organization called Living Room Conversations that mm-hmm. is doing that, just equipping people to have right now virtual conversations as if you were in a living room together um, and being and taking care to think about who might be in the room, including people of different generations. Um, one organization that we dearly love is... Um, called Civ- uh, Citizen University, and they launched a program uh, 
called Civic Saturday. And the idea of Civic Saturday is to equip people in their own local communities to host a Saturday kind of analog to a religious service, um, but around the concept of citizen democracy um, that we're called together to bridge divides, to uh, be citizens and to be in a stance of mutual aid and commitment to one another. And there are elements that will feel familiar to folks who have sat in a, in a spiritual room before where there'll be like spiritual texts, um, but these would be civic texts, um, often uh, really inspiring music. And then what uh, Eric Liu, the founder calls a civic sermon. And one of my colleagues, Anshul Dar, became uh, a Civic Saturday fellow <clears throat> and has been specifically leading, once again, virtually, held Civic Saturdays, where um, it's very intentionally designed to cut across generations with different generational views represented, um, and really talking about bridging the divides and making love and care centered in our relationships with one another. So that's another format that is very actually very accessible for folks to recreate on their own to bridge divides through conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had an opportunity uh... I guess about a month ago to participate in one of your Civic Saturday session. Uh, and um, very interesting, uh, very engaging. Uh, you know, some people gave some, you know, sermons that were interesting. Then you went to breakout rooms and I got put into a, a couple of different breakout rooms. And I remember, you know, you know, at the end of the, the breakout, you know, it goes like, okay, you have one minute. I'm like, no, 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 we don't have, <laughs> not just one. No, 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 we got to keep going. So, we never have enough time. It's yeah, so true. It's yeah. so true. And we'd rather leave people wanting more than feeling like there was too much time. But right. I do think that your experience reflects a real thirst that people yeah. have to connect. And once again, you might think that there aren't older or younger people uh, in your vicinity to connect with. And sometimes a little bit of structure is what's needed to make those conversations happen. Um, I might mention we actually have been working on another uh, series around intergenerational dialogues, and it's in partnership with a wonderful organization called My Life, My Stories, mm -hmm. uh, run by a young woman, Brittany Bear. And she is partnered with Brenda Atchison, who I talked about earlier, the original home host for Nesterly, the older African-American woman. And together, they've been hosting these intergenerational dialogues on racial justice as part of a series on course hosting. And we have one coming up on April 21st that is a conversation at the intersection of environment, climate change, and race that might be interested, uh, interesting to some of your listeners. Uh, but if you go to the Encore.org website, you can find that in our virtual events section. Right. And there will be speakers of different generations talking about that intersection of climate change and race. Yeah, yeah. I think what's interesting too about the, that particular program is that there were, there was intergenerational conversation, but it was also um, intergeographical conversation. <laughs> You know, because I don't think, you know, we are, you know, a country that's made up of many different, you know, subcultures and yeah. talk to people, you know, from, you know, Indiana, Louisiana, California, you know, it, it puts you into someone's framework much quicker. And I think, again, you know, just as we talked earlier about having, you know, student exchanges from different countries, I think we almost need now in our own country exchanges of people from different mm. areas who make you know, just have different experiences. It's nothing, not one over the other, but just spending time talking about, you know, how it is you think about issues and what's important to you. And, and you know, it's not that you're wrong about this, it's that you're, you're working on different value systems. And to, but you need to spend some time talking to people, just listening to what those are. You know? That's right. 
Well, and I think another thing I often think about is, uh, so I'm a Taiwanese American. My parents immigrated here from Taiwan. And, uh, and I grew up in an immigrant family, still very closely tied to my grandparents. Um, as with so many immigrants, once my parents got settled here, they brought their parents, my grandparents, into the United States, and they lived with us for a period of time. Uh, and then eventually, we were able to set them up in their own home, walking distance from our home. So I'm mm-hmm. often fond of saying my grandparents were my after-school program. The bus <laughs> dropped me off in front of their house, and uh, they fed me snacks after school, and they made sure I got my homework done while my parents were both working. And I think for so many, we're a country of so many immigrants. And for a lot of those cultures, I want to be careful to say when I say we need more innovation and we've lost our way generationally, uh, we have a lot to learn from many of our immigrant communities and our African-American communities about where the strength of intergenerational ties are still very strong. Um, It's really, in some ways, the rest of society that has so eagerly walked into an age-siloed way of living. So we're both interested in teeing up new innovations, but equally learning from traditions that have worked for millennia and remixing that to work for our modern times. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of in my own terms, I call it sort of a back to the future movement, (laughs) which is, I think so true. And I think that, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we're seeing uh, more multi-generational households, you know, uh, forced That's right. into that situation, but but also learning from going. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We, this is something that we we'd like. There's there's a lot of good in this. Yes, you need you need to figure out your privacy issues. That's true, <laughs> right? But there's a lot to be said about this, and I think that um, you know we're so we're rediscovering. I think that you know a lot of the last century was about you know the, the progress in America through through innovation, but technology. And, you know, technology is not just about you know, computers. It's about sort of a, an approach to specialization towards solving mm-hmm. problems. And I think we got, we got a long way, you know, by doing that. Uh, but then we sort of took it a little bit too far and are realizing that, wait a minute, you know, it's to me what I call a technological versus an ecological perspective mm. and understanding the relationships that are required to, to, you know, create change, not just the technical advancements, um, and I think now we're coming to terms with like, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of good. And, you know, and it was not, it's not just, you know, you know, first generation immigrants, but I think, and, and as first generation immigrants got it, you know, got acculturated to the society, they sort of lost that because the impetus was like, well, you grow up, you know, you go out into the world, you create your own space, you go to a different part of the country, you, you, um, you know, you have your own family and your own place. Um and that's great. And then I think what we've discovered too is that as, as we've sent our children off to do that, it, we, we get older like, wait a minute, who's going to take care of us, <laughs> right? That's right. I've actually had quite a few conversations with other um, children of immigrants like myself that were born here who had a very strong sense of what the, the path was supposed to be. And we work really hard as young adults to be independent uh, and to just stand on our own two feet, move away from our families. And I think at some point kind of felt like, wait a second, uh, I was kind of sold the wrong dream because we then felt very disconnected from community and that sense of extended family. And that's actually the reason uh, I had started my career in business and management consulting. And I was personally feeling really disconnected. And I didn't, I didn't know why 
until I saw this advertisement for the job with Experience Corps. And when I saw that description that they were looking for somebody to run this program that would bring teams of older adults into schools to work with kids, the job description alone just made me feel like I had come home. And then I just had to keep my fingers crossed that they would actually give me the job. Um, And sure enough, once I dropped into that space, um, being part of a program that was multi-generational was something that I had taken for granted as a child. It's kind of like it's it's so in the air I breathed, I didn't even know it was a thing until I didn't have it. Right, right. So we're we're coming close to the end, but I just before we do, I wanted to to talk about it more pragmatically in terms of community involvement. Um, you had mentioned to me during the break, um, you know, the notion of multi-generational vaccine corps. So mm. just before we go, talk a little bit about that. So we yeah, well, uh, you know, we specialize in innovation at Encore, and we often will just posit something that we think doesn't exist. And last month, one of uh, two of my colleagues, um, Phyllis Siegel and Jerry Bourne, put out an op-ed in Newsweek calling for an intergenerational vaccine core with this idea of like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could call on the um, the many retired medical professionals to come and actually support the administration of vaccines? And then what if we called on young people who were non-medical, who have a lot of gifts and strengths in non-medical support, managing patient flow, conducting post-vaccination monitoring, doing community outreach, recruited them to kind of collaborate together to just get the important business of vaccination done. And a month later, we just went ahead and piloted it. And uh, with the support of National Service, AmeriCorps, Senior Corps programs, and federally qualified health centers. And so right now we have a pilot happening in the Bay Area with eight community health centers serving low-income and ethnically diverse populations who've been really struggling to get access, equal access to the vaccine. Um, We've been overwhelmed by the number of medical volunteers and non-medical volunteers who've raised their hand to help with this. Great, great. Well, I can't believe our hour is almost gone, but I just wanted to thank you, Eunice, for being such a terrific guest. I really appreciate your spending this hour with us. Before before we go, um, if people want to get in touch with you, um, how do they? What's the best way to contact you? Uh, they can contact me by email, e nichols e n i c h o l s at encore.org. Uh, you can go to our website, encore.org for more information, uh, both about the programs that we run and we do a lot of thought leadership. So you'll find a ton of research and articles we've written. Um, But also I would encourage you to check out our virtual events page. We've been tracking both uh, all of our partners events as well as ours that are related to this idea of co-generation, doing great work together across generations. Yeah, Yeah, it's a a great, it's a great page, uh, great, great site. Um, And uh, you could also, uh, uh, if you go to my website um, after the show or uh, rowellresources.com, you can also uh, use uh, contact information there, some more uh, information about her and Encore. Uh, if you have questions for me, you could email me at ron.rowell at gmail.com. Um, so folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, when I'll be talking with Jack Kufferman, the president of the Great Panthers of New York City, who spent a lifetime as a fierce advocate fighting for the rights of older people. Uh, he's helping lead the charge for an online event next month, honoring the lives of nursing home residents who lost their lives to COVID. But that's only a small part of his storied career. So it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Uh, you won't want to miss that one either. Um, so until then, uh, once again, uh, Great thanks to Eunice for a terrific show. 
And for all of you out there, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.